Pursuit of Podcast, a purely guest-centric show focusing on people and organizations that advance positive change. Positivity can be anywhere, and in a time of vast discord, the pursuit of is finding those who champion its causes loudest. Join us as we sit and learn about the pursuits of local leaders in their community. Let's go. Hello, good people, and welcome to the Pursuit of Podcast, where it's truly not us, it's you. I'm Ryan Buck, artist development, New Leonard Media. With me is the boss, Mark Wilson, president, New Leonard Media. How are you, sir? Hey, Ryan, I'm doing well. Dude, I like that shirt. That's nice and this, crispy. You know, we, new shirt? That is way too much about us. I'm embarrassed once again. But more importantly, our guest today is Carrie Bachman, executive director, Northwest Michigan Community Action Agency. How are you? I'm doing well. I am glad to hear that. And you brought some team members with you today, which is awesome. You brought a crew, a posse, if we're getting back to the 90s. That's how I travel. And (laughs) we also have with us Erica Austin, marketing manager. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. And delighted to have Kim Altman, operation director. Good to see you. This is really nice to have so many people with us today. And I think it adds some dynamics to the proceedings. But I'm going to start with a question that I've started with recently. And it's a new question, new-ish, and we're going to start with you. So let's envision that you're at an engagement, you're at a social business, a party, something like that, something kind of casual. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, what do you do? What's the answer? I guess first thing comes to mind would be I work at an awesome nonprofit agency in Northwest Michigan. Okay, that's good. That's a good party answer. Let's say that's enough to get people kind of around you, nonprofit, Northern Michigan. Uh What kind of questions do you get at that point? And are they typically good? We get questions about just basically what do you do? And again, some of the challenges are we do so much. Like concrete? Like, okay, I understand that. But what do you do here? To be honest with you, sometimes you don't get follow-up questions to that response. Really? Fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. People are like, okay, next. So that's not hot stuff enough uh, in the party, huh? So what kind of questions would you like to get in a setting at a party when somebody says, what do you do? And you say, I work for a nonprofit. The question I'd like to get was, what do you like about that? What do you enjoy about that? Why is that important to you to do that kind of work? Right. Well, if it's helpful, I ask the question a lot. And one of the biggest answers is you get paid to do that. And that's not a joke. And, And that sachets into the mystique of a nonprofit being a nonprofit. So you are at this party, you have a semicircle of people around you, and they're a little dumbfounded. So let's say you get a little more floor. Where do you go from there? What's the first thing you're saying right now? Well, the first thing I'm saying is that we identify the needs of the community, and then we Mm -hmm. try to provide services to help people to meet those needs, just to make stronger Family, stronger communities, a stronger Northwest Michigan. Right. Many wonderful organizations have come together and do wonderful things, and they owe their origins to presidents So, and major legislation. So Lyndon Johnson, Economic Opportunity Act, and 1974, these two organizations came together, which I think is really cool to think about back then, and NMCAA was born. Do you think about that at times? Do you think about history? I mean, LBJ, he was A-OK. Yeah. Is that yeah. a thing? Is yeah, that, it is. It actually was that, is. Was it really? It, okay. Yeah. I think it should be. I just... I, and, you know, president under some rough circumstances, yeah. we can all agree. Yeah. Do you look back at the history at times? Do you find any any value in that? I think that's such a cool aspect of community action because we're so rooted in that time period and all the things that came out of the civil rights movement and the war on poverty. And... So many of the individuals that got connected to community action at that time or shortly after stayed. I mean, it's kind of a thing. Once you become involved in community action, you're there, you're a lifer. And so those individuals are leaving. They're retiring. And so we have a whole new group of people coming into the organizations that don't have that basis in the history. Right. And something that they offer is this, it's like a community action credential, which nobody outside of community action, typically knows Mm -hmm. um, what that means. But it's really about learning the history. And I just completed that last year. And yeah, once I completed that, I'm like, okay, how do we recognize this? How do we integrate this in who we are today? Because it's so critical to who we are today. That's fascinating. Some folks would look at that and say, looking backward is an innovative and they 
skirt those types of stories, but you're embracing that, which I think is fantastic. Do you have a, and we'll go big air right away. What level of engagement do you have nationally? Are you in DC? How frequent is that a part of your day to day? Yeah. So, um, Community Action, which is a surprise sometimes when I say this, but it covers the whole entire United States. Almost everywhere you look, 99.9% of the land is serviced by Community Action. So we have strong networks at the state, and then we have strong networks across the nation. So I was in D.C. about a week and a half ago. Oh, wow. Got a chance to make our legislative visits and connect nationally. And then I was on a call earlier this morning with our Michigan Community Action Network. So, you know, we're really connected at all levels. Yeah. So I think... Do you enjoy that kind of work in general? That kind of... I've talked to some people who really don't like that kind of thing. The politicking, the traveling, all that, those elements that maybe some people don't like to associate with even. Is that something that you enjoy? I enjoy talking about what we do, and I enjoy telling stories about the impact that we have. I'm not a political person by nature. I'm a program person. I came up through the programs that we offer. I'm used to being pretty hands-on in the field. And so uh, there are aspects about this that I really love and aspects that aren't exactly my favorite, but it's important to be able to amplify the work and to amplify the stories. And so just because of that in and of itself, I enjoy doing it for that reason, and I I love traveling. I have no problem with the traveling component of it. Well, that's good because one may assume that this is a job that is really bound to a desk or bound to an area, and it's nice to know that you can travel and do things like that. What prepared you most in your history to prepare for big conversations that you may have to have in these kind of settings? Anything Mm -hmm. specific that really prepared you to do that? I would mention this morning that I was on a call with the Michigan Community Action Agency, and we kind of were talking about that same thing as executive directors and, you know, what prepared us for certain aspects of leadership. And I think the unifying theme was there was some stuff that helped, but you just kind of do it and you make mistakes and you just learn from it or you don't and you keep going. So basically, that's really how I think we just continue to move forward. I don't know that... There was a point where I had had some things happen where I said, you know, now I'm ready. Let's do this. Not at all. You know, it was just sort of, <laughs> it's just sort of one step led to another step in front, you know, one foot in front of the so other. So the eye type of the thing. tiger can be developed. Yeah. With, with help, with guidance, any advice you'd give in that regard to who to seek out to really be that Miyagi type figure for you navigating those waters? Yeah. Well, I think there's so many examples of people who, have leadership skills and do like amazing things every day. So it's just recognizing that all around you and asking people about that, asking them about themselves. And then I think it's really important to have people around you closely that you trust, they trust you. And so like if I said, was that, did I sound really dumb when I said that? Or is is this a good idea? They're going to say, uh, yeah, no. And they're going to let me know or they're going to give me that feedback because that's so important. You and know, that's to have feedback that. that you're okay taking? Did you develop that skill, taking uh, constructive criticism? Um, did I that develop context? that skill? I'm thinking if I developed that skill or if I've always had it. You know, no one's good at it all the times. There's some times where it's like, it stings, you know. That's the truth of it. But you just can't do the best. You know, the best, whatever it is of what you're trying to do, is out there in the middle of the table. It's not inside of me. And so I expect that... Uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot better ideas coming to inform what we're trying to do here together. And I have to be open to that or else we're not going to get to the place we want to go. Yeah. Bringing it back here locally, how good a handle do you think people have on all you offer the community? In all honesty, I think that's one of our challenges. And I think for a couple of reasons. One, we do a lot of stuff. We do preschool classrooms and home visiting and we do home rehab, and we work in homeless prevention, and we do taxes. I mean, we can go on and on. We do lots of things. So the people that touch our programs know us well. But sometimes I don't think that we pick up our heads from the work enough to broadcast what we're doing to the community, Mm -hmm. um, to talk about what we're doing. And so we're working really hard to do a better job at that, not only for the, the staff that are doing the work, but to let people know, hey, we're here. Reach out, and you know, chances are, if you've got something that you would like assistance with, we can help you. We can connect you. You know, just know that we're yeah. here for you. Well, that sounds like marketing, 
yeah, meeting sure <laughs> operations, rubber meeting the road. And that's a yeah. word that comes in that marketing and branding that sometimes seems like a dirty word, especially right. as it relates to, but it is a fact of life, right? It's part of the business and it's something you have to be cognizant of, right? Right. Is that something that you bring to bear to the table? Is that something that you enjoy as well? Because again, other tendencies of executive directors tend to be in one camp or the other as it relates to their enjoyment of marketing. I think if I was going to fall into one camp, I would be in the camp that enjoyed it. (laughs) I enjoy sharing the spotlight. So, you know, it's not that the spotlight piece is of interest to me, but I enjoy ways to communicate. So much of our success and our ability to do our job depends on communication. That's always, always the issue, you know, communication. And so this is just an aspect of that. And any ways that we can think of it, like today, being on a podcast, thinking about, you know, we've had discussions about maybe we want to do a podcast within our own organization. Mm -hmm. Those kind of things are exciting. Yeah. Well, that's good because some may see them as work and not see that end result. And they are work, but it's nice that you can see that type of view. Are you kind of geared towards that, seeing the big picture first, or can you get mired in the little things to get you there? I think there's oftentimes so much that it's easy to get mired. But in terms of how I approach things, I am kind of a big picture thinker, an abstract thinker. Sometimes getting in the weeds, I just want to get out as fast as I can because (laughs) that's not where I'm the most comfortable. But there are some times when you got to do those things. So I just think recognizing that there's a balance to those different aspects. But in general, I like to look around me and, and try to make connections. I think that's one of the things I like most about this role is to be now in a space to really look at the work going on in our organization and in the broader community mm-hmm. and make those connections about, yeah. okay, this connects to this and maybe we can find some synergies here, things like that. So um, I enjoy that space. I sometimes wish this was more visual. Your your passion and your smile and, and the like light in your eyes is truly is truly authentic. So everybody should know that. But you are trained in a lot of this. You received your bachelor's in social sciences and your master's in education and sociology both at Eastern Michigan. Yes. Long haul. Why yeah. stay? Just all your stuff was there? Just keep going? Why? why I'm sorry. Why stay at Eastern the whole time? Why just, stay? Your stuff was there. You're oh, set. Yeah, and yeah. Let's just keep going. Because that, I mean, that's wonderful. Yeah. Well, you know, the reality was I was the first person in my family to go to college. And so I went to community college for a couple of years mm-hmm. and I had a played soccer there for a couple of years and had a scholarship and then was able to move to Eastern. But I was working at the time too. So I was commuting. So was living at home still, working in restaurants mostly, and going to school. And so I did that. And sports as well. And sports, yeah. And so I did that for my bachelor's degree and then went back and, you know, worked as a graduate assistant. So it paid for my school and then was yeah. able to do the same thing for my master's degree. So that's that's why I stuck there. Well, as long back as you can articulate these concepts mm-hmm. for you, what was the dream, the plan, and the reality oh, as you talked about? Okay. The dream and the plan and reality. I did have a vision of... Becoming a writer. How old are we at this point? Oh, Where is this I would say early teens through early college. Right. And writer, probably lived in a really, yeah, on a beach on the West Coast somewhere in some small, cottagey, quaint little place overlooking the water. And I probably turned out some really cool pieces during that time. And then the reality was... <laughs> Wait, I also... keep talking about that dream a little while <laughs> can longer. I? That was wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I can stay there for a while. But the reality was I wasn't really sure exactly what I wanted to do at the time, like so many 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And a lot of individuals in my family were teachers. Mm-hmm. And I did enjoy that. And so I thought, okay, that's where I'm going to get my major and spend my time. And so I got my degree in secondary education and was a high school teacher and a substitute taught for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. I was 22 and... The students were 18, and they thought I was a new student most of the time when I was in the classroom as a substitute teacher. And they're like, where's the teacher at? And I'm like, that's me. And <laughs> oftentimes they didn't believe it. Is that so, legit? Yeah. Oh, wow. Was yeah. that good for the ego for a while, or was that bad for the ego? Um, you mean? I mean, you're building your professional ego yeah. and then your well, personal when you're 22, ego. So like, to what it would mean hard? to me now? Like if so, Now and, you'd yeah. be like, yes, yes, I'm a student. I would be like, yes, I am. Thank you. Just what are you up to? Yeah. <laughs> Is there an empty chair? Yeah. No, back then, no. Back then I was, you know, trying to wear my yeah. blazer that was too long and have authority. <laughs> and a blazer meant authority. 
Yes, it did in that time. Any period. patches on those blazers at all, or is that? Um, uh, you know, this one did no, no. I only had one, but yeah, no patches on that. But and, I know well, where you're that's, going. Well, that's that's a and again, I'm married to a teacher, and there are a lot of wonderful academics in my family, so I get it. That's not a path that you're choosing for the millions of dollars, the yeah. early retirement, and things like that. So. It seemed like giving and a big heart was kind of there from the beginning. Was there any watershed moment or mentor movie or song that inspired you to want to do what you do? I wish there was a song, but I can't think of one right now. I would say that sort of service-oriented approach has always been there. I came to Community Action through early childhood programming and the reason that that occurred for me was I moved, obviously, to the area from uh, Metro Detroit area. Mm-hmm. There was a job opening in early childhood, and my kids were two, three, four at the time. So there was some real relevancy to that. And there was something about once I understood the brain science and all that was coming out at that time, I realized all the things that were issues that were important to me to address, you know, most of them came right back to this early yeah. childhood, this first few years of life, which was a space I never imagined that I would be and interested in. you said that in. was relevant to you as a young parent yourself? Yeah, yeah. And how? What did you see that as just extra help, extra knowledge, or somebody who just like, I'm learning something new to better my own family's life as well? Yeah, it was this coupling of like understanding the impact of this work, but then also going home to a two-year-old and going, oh, I can use this here or wow, I really messed that up last week. Let me try this new thing I learned today. But so there was this almost like a, you know, it was a practice field, but it was oh, the experimental. real experiment. Yeah, experimented Have you on talked my to them about how you experimented on <laughs> oh, them they as know. children? Oh, they know. <laughs> They're fully aware. Do they use it, you know, anytime? <laughs> Does that come up? Look what, you know, uh, look what I did for you extra. Because well, that's pretty wonderful to well, say yeah. that you wanted to bring that home. And The funny thing is both of them are scientists now. And... Oftentimes they make a comment about like, you know, they wish that somebody would, you know, say that thing that we say in social work that, you know, so tell me more about that or whatever that is to like support someone in a moment because that's something that they don't experience. So they, you know, they try it on their scientist friends and it works even in. See? Yeah. Look at that. So I guess it does. You're right. It does carry forward. You have been executive director since 2018, right? But you've been with NMCAA since 2009. You started with the Early Head Start program, and you obviously took over from another executive director. So in that process, what was the biggest question, the key, the most key question you needed to ask that person, and did that align with the best advice you got from that person? Hmm. That's a good question. I'm thinking like a, a key question because it's you just don't know what you don't know. So I didn't even have, I think, a good key question. Sure, sure. <laughs> because you just don't know what you don't know. That's a tough one for me to think about. I think... Well, let me, let me ask you yeah. this. When you started, was executive director the goal? When I started, no, it wasn't. It wasn't a goal. It was just being a part of Community Action. I started with Community Action... I went somewhere else for a little bit, and then I came back because I went, wait a minute, that's where I need to be. There was just something about the commitment to the work and the mission and the people, primarily the people, the people being around like-minded people, trying to do good, working together, you know, drew me right back. And so it was really, how can I um, be of service to this cause and to the people around me? And so that really was the the impetus. There was no end goal of, uh, you know, eventually this is where I want to I want to end up or this is, you know, what I'm aspiring to. It was just to continue to grow within the organization and to figure out how to serve it to the highest right. level I could. But clearly it was an educated decision to say yes to this. And you knew that there were responsibilities. So was there a lot of convincing involved along the way? Or was there a certain point where you thought this could be a good fit and this is something that I should be doing? There was a point. There was a consideration. I was working as the director of the early childhood programs and absolutely loved it. So it wasn't like I was looking around me, you know, okay, what can I do next? Or, you know, I need something different. That wasn't the case at all. But like I said, most people in community action are there a long time. So these opportunities don't open up very often either. Yeah, sure. So, you know, this was like, okay, well, let's think about this. This is sort of, you know, it's kind of like the when I moved to Traverse City area, it was an opportunity and it was like, hey, look at that opportunity. And then it was like, hmm, let me think about that. And it was kind of the same the same kind of thing. It's like, okay, let's think about this and 
and then as I'm thinking about it, I'm getting excited about, oh, I really have always wanted to try this or do this, and I have a vision for this, and this would give me an opportunity to play that out. And so that was sort of the final, after some consideration, to take on the additional responsibility and the, you know, filling the shoes of a, of a long-term prior executive director. Yeah. Was there some comfort in knowing that there could be a, a transition with somebody who had had the reins, but knowing that you had come up through the organization and had your own ideas? Yeah, and I think there was a, a support and a, a trust from from that individual that said, well, he trusts me to do this. Yeah. You know, I feel like, yeah, we can give this a try. You're affiliated with what some would call some legacy programs, I would think, or maybe mm-hmm. I would call some legacy programs, Head Start, Meals on Wheels. And these are I'm familiar with these words growing up as a Midwesterner, but we've talked about history and legacy. How important is it for you right now to be innovative as an organization? It's extremely important, and I think it's perhaps more important than it has ever been. When you look talked about the history earlier, so many of the legacy programs have such a long history, but when they were started at their inception, they were so innovative. Mm-hmm. There were so many aspects of them that were, uh, you know, big ideas, new ideas, risky ideas. I mean, risky, risky ideas. Can you t- touch on that? Because I'm fascinated by yeah. that. I, I like the idea, and maybe I'm advancing these notions, but that there is some kind of little rebellious nature to a lot of nonprofit work. You have to go against the grain, see a need, fill a need that's maybe not, you know, completely logical or profitable right away, but you have to have this kind of spirit of rebellion. And is that something that you find stirs you a little bit? Yeah, it does. Because if we're really going to be responsive to the needs in the community, and we hear what those needs are, none of the fixes are easy. They all are complex. The issues are multifaceted, and they take a lot of collaboration and partnership. And so you've got to think really creatively to solve them. And you've got to take risks because there's not a tool in the toolbox that, okay, this is the tool for this issue. So you've got to take risks and you've got to push in places to get the tools you need. You've got to push back on sometimes behaviors and attitudes. You've got to, you know, lots of different pieces of it are. But I think that's where a lot of the innovation is born out of that drive to give voice and to follow through. Right. Are there certain areas of your focus right now that you think could use more innovative attention than others? Or is that maybe just across the board? Over the last three years during the COVID pandemic, we have instituted a lot of additional programming. Some funders have looked for community action to reach people in need quickly. And so we've been there. Right. So we, I kind of think of it like one of those collapsible balls and gets really big and then it gets small. And we've just been continuing to do that. And we're starting our strategic plan process right now. And I think there's a time for us to think about, okay, we just went through all of this And we have a long history, and then we have this landscape that's the same, but it's not the same. It's different. And so we're really taking some time right now to think about who do we need to be? What do we need to do differently? How do we need to be creative moving forward? Interesting. Well, your strategic planning, that means looking at what you do to grow the organization, to grow the team. How big is your team? Is that a question you you can answer? Yeah. How big is your team when somebody asks you that, How just big? as scope for the organization? If we're talking about the organization, it sounds corny to say it out loud. Look at us. We're all teams. We're a series of teams, interconnected teams. At any given time, the teams switch. And then we're all interconnected to groups in the community. We have 10 yeah. counties. And so it's just sort of exponential who the team is. So, you know, we've got a strong core team of supervisors and managers, and we utilize them to be communication conduits, and then to bring people together so we can hear from everybody in our organization. And yeah. so that's kind of what we've done with our strategic planning process. We've, we're have we trying to approach it in lots of different ways to, to bring all the voices to the table, yeah. even though it's not feasible to bring. I mean, I guess it could be feasible, but it's, it's a challenge that I'm not up for to bring 330 people into a room and try to strategic plan at the same time. <laughs> well, it's probably been done, but yeah. what was at what cost to the people doing it mentally? You have a lot of partners, and it takes a lot of different hands and minds to do what you do. Homestretch Housing, Fifth Third Bank, Women's Resource Center, so a varied pantheon Mm -hmm. of partners. What, for you, is critical in a partner for NMCAA? 
So I think probably just like I would answer internally, it's that commitment to to work collaboratively and to think about complex issues, to pull people to the table, to hear other voices. You know, it's just that shared commitment to the outcomes and the willingness to, you know, it's it's difficult work and it's tricky and to engage in it with the vision and the mindset and stick to it when the, the going gets tough because it does. Right. And you do have to weather challenges together with partners. And what are your keys to working with partners when things can get tough or maybe even missions can become opposed? Well, it's one thing I always try to do is be very transparent about my own approach to things or my own objectives, just so that I'm at least approaching the situation and then presuming positive intent. I think we are all in a space of challenging work and we come to it with the intention of making a difference. And there's lots of factors that play into the interactions that happen. But just knowing that we have so many people in the community with such drive to make a difference. And I think it shows in our region and the things we're able to do. I mean, we're recognized in our other larger networks in the state as being an area that really works collaboratively together in in a really unique way. Well, you've said community, collaboration a lot, and those are definitely inspiring words. But how do you see them as being tangible? Where is it tangible for you? Or when somebody asks you, where are you seeing the results of your work? What's something that pops to mind for you? I think about some of our partners that we work with and our ability to have difficult conversations with those partners, to have built that trust over time, to put things on the table and have those difficult conversations. I think about some of the work that we've done and some of the individual stories and the individual experiences of people that have been impacted by the work. To me, that's where the the heart of it is. And if you spend any time on the website, it is pretty staggering what you give through the website and the stories that you can experience. And it's hard not to be drawn in, especially when you look at services. You offer so much. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's more than you should. It's unbelievable what you mm-hmm. offer. <laughs> not really, but the different things that you can give behind a particular mission. So what do you offer right now that you think is kind of overlooked? A service that you wish more individuals were aware of or families were aware of? I think to answer that question to start, I probably would start by saying the thing that's overlooked, I think, is that anyone can reach out to us and have a connection and have support for whatever the issue is, whether it's one of the many programs that we provide or whether we're connecting with someone in the community My overall dream for the organization and my dream is that, and I I think it's the reality, and we work really hard. I know nothing's perfect, but we work really hard to make sure that, if nothing else, when someone reaches out to the organization, they're going to have a positive human experience. Bottom line, whether we can provide them with, you know, meet the needs that they have. And to me, that's the most important thing, that there's respect and there's that positive human connection that if something is happening... I know where I can call and have that experience. Right. Beyond that, it's hard to pick one program that's overlooked. Like you say, we have some programs that have lots of name recognition in the community. We've got Meals on Wheels. We've got Head Start. We also have financial management services. We have a whole bunch of different programs that if everybody struggles financially at one point in their life, whether it's trying to figure out a budget or repair a credit score. So I think we have a lot to offer in that realm that maybe some folks don't know about. And I would say one of the programs that we really are trying to get the word out about and expand is our weatherization program. We've had a weatherization program for years, but there's a new focus and some additional funding to expand that. And so that's really part of our work too. And the larger picture of the housing crisis, we do home rehab and we we weatherize homes. So we can help people who are living in their homes, but need some additional support to have a healthier and safer environment to live in through our programs. It feels like any news story that has bearing on the community that you may read in the ticker, you may read somewhere, you could probably be an assist with in some form or fashion. And that has to feel good. Do you feel like you are 
good serving your 10 counties or are you at capacity? Do you feel like you can grow right now? Because you're ambitious, I could tell. And this is a group that I've met already of really impressive and intelligent people. Growth is natural, wanting to grow. So where do you feel your capacity for growth is right now? Do you have challenges with hiring like everybody else as well? Yeah, yeah. We're ready to grow. And like I say, like that flexible ball analogy, we, we've expanded really quickly. We have the capacity to do that. But yeah, like everybody else, staff recruitment is tough. We're faced with a lot of the challenges that most organizations, nonprofits and private sector alike are faced with in trying to find people to fill the roles that we have currently and the ones that we, we hope to add to expand. And so internally, we're doing a lot of work around what is it that helps us retain staff? What are we doing that's working to do that? And then what other things do we need to think about? Fascinating. You said, what are we doing to retain staff? Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that may get lost in the shuffle at times when everybody's trying to recruit. So you are conscious of creating a culture that people want to stay. And clearly it's working. There are individuals there for a long time. Is is that something that you struggle with is maintaining a culture when there are so many different programs or, or the traditional version of a culture? That's a really good question because there's some truth to the fact that because we're so large and have so many different programs, you know, there are many cultures within the organization. So overall, I think we have a supportive culture. I think we have a, a nurturing culture. I think we have a culture that supports individuality and that supports personal growth and professional growth. Right. But, we, you know, we're doing a lot of work around culture, too, and bringing all the different programs together and talking about, you know, what are our values? What are the behaviors that align with our values? What do they look like in our organizations? You know, so we're really creating a, a shared culture as well that translates into the individual programs. Right. It's that ironic piece where you could be so many people doing so much good for others that even as an organization, it can be easy to not focus on yourself internally. So it's always good for, to have that check and balance. So when you think about all of the stories and all of the wonderful voices that you have of individuals that you've served One of the big things that comes up is food insecurity, and I think that if you're okay speaking to that a little bit, it's a heavy subject. Mm -hmm. Children and kids and young people needing school lunches and food insecurity in general for families, and these are factors that are beyond a lot of people's control. It's not because they've done something wrong or haven't worked hard enough. So is this something that, because it feels like a newer focus in general, I haven't heard the term food insecurity like this. Is this something that has been focused on for a while and now it's just in the light? Or is this something that is a new focus and how big a priority should it be? It's been a focus, but I think it took on a new level of urgency during COVID. And as soon as we went into that lockdown space, partners in the community got together and we're talking, okay, what do we need to do? What are the the issues around food and security that we need to address that we're not currently addressing? Mm -hmm. I mean, how do we work together to do that? We're looking at the falling off of many of those supports that were available during COVID and food insecurity now. As a, it's always been there, but now we're looking at this additional component to it. So I think it's always been there, but I think we are being perhaps more creative and innovative about how we address food insecurity mm-hmm. and its bottom line. It's basic. It's like the most fundamental thing that we need in terms of basic needs. And so we've got to figure out how to make sure that every person has access right. to nutrition and health. Well, it seems like a easy story to tell, right? So you've got a nice photo of children who yeah. need and they're hungry and the world should be yours, right? Right, right. But right. it's not that easy? But it's not that easy. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to take this opportunity. We have Kim is with us today, our director of operations and food programs are sort of under her purview. Mm-hmm. And so she has been in the heart of many of these conversations that we've been having in the community about yeah. food insecurity and looking at our the importance and expansion of our Meals on Wheels program. Mm-hmm. Isolation obviously was such a huge issue, and we had huge numbers of seniors that had to be isolated, and we had to figure out how to get food to them. So these programs, when the rubber hits the road, when we get hit with a crisis, whether it's COVID or something else, all of a sudden... These core infrastructure pieces just are more important than ever. They're just vital. And so this was a big lesson in the importance of creating that strong infrastructure to support these basic needs and then making sure that they exist because hopefully we won't 
be facing another COVID-19 crisis soon, right. but there will be something, you know, there's always something. There will yeah. be a feeling of more preparedness, Yeah. right? And this is another instance of COVID shining a light on something that needed a light shined on it, mm-hmm. and a positive came, up, came from this. So operationally, you're able to weather the storm, and I think your constituents are better for it, would you say? Oh, yes, absolutely. Right. I, I think one of the, I don't want to say good things about COVID because there were, you know, aren't yeah. that many, but yeah. it really was one of those things that Carrie was saying earlier that we as a group that did different food programs got together and said, we need to be able to help people and we need to. So often we, we're all, we don't want to be siloed, but we're siloed because we all do our own thing and, you know, our funding says we have to do X, your funding mm-hmm. says you have to do Y. And we just really got together and went, okay. We're all in the business of making sure at the end of the day, people who are hungry get food. And how do we do that? And what, as a community action agency, that was one of the great things. We were leaders in being able to do that through Meals on Wheels. We had two days to turn around and get meals to seniors. And what did that look like? Oh, so you've got a couple of stories of like, (laughs) by by your collar, just getting it done. Yeah, absolutely. And there's more to Meals on Wheels, right? Because as you make these deliveries, there's a certain element of wellness checks on individuals. I mean, this is serious business. And, you know, we're not a heavy show. But why not say this is very serious? This is people's health and not saying it could be life and death, but certainly contributing to that arena, right? So what's something right now that you're excited about in the world of trying to reduce food insecurity. Is there anything right now that you can share that in your arena that you're excited about? Any positive news? I think just the fact that all of us got together and we're still communicating and still trying to work as a group. You know, right. we're not so many things that happened with COVID. It's like, okay, we're back to normal. You can't mm-hmm. see my air quotes. But. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, and I think that piece of it is just great. And as you were mentioning with the senior piece of it, just the senior being able to be in their home where they feel safe and secure as opposed to necessarily having to go to an assisted living home or in a hospital and the impact of those costs that we're helping to alleviate by being able to help them stay in their homes where they feel more comfortable and the community uses those funds for other things. Right. So, you know, all those things are important, but yes, kids getting meals. I mean, at the end of the day, like Carrie said, this is just basic. This is right. just basic. Food and shelter are basic needs that no one should have to worry about, especially in a, yeah. a country like ours. In child development, there's a lot that goes into this. This is, you know, being poorly nourished, you can't develop well, you can't focus in schools. There's child care challenges that face our community. Right. And looking at child development, it's fairly ironic that some of the things that you help adults with are used to be taught in schools. I guess. So there is that. But when you look at some of the things that go into child development for you, where do you draw the line at where things should be taught at home, where things should be taught at school, and where you all fit in? How do you find that harmony between all those elements for kids? Like I mentioned, this is sort of the path that I came up through with Community Action completely unintentionally, but it was because of the draw of the reality of the importance and the impact. And I think as you mentioned earlier, when I first came to Community Action, I was working in the Early Head Start program, so that's prenatal to three. And, you know, so much of that is about just understanding what's going on in that brain development capacity and helping articulate that and really recognizing parents as their child's most important teacher. And I think there's an informational piece. There's that child development piece that we have so much more knowledge about now that we didn't have before. But there's also just being a parent is tough. And so, Having someone to cheerlead you and to be able to say, you're doing good. Did you see what your child just did? You're doing a really good job. Just that relational piece is so important, too, to break down isolation and then to understand in a very holistic way, how is the family doing? What are some supports? Is there food insecurity that we can help address? And so it's really a holistic approach that translates into the preschool classroom in the same way, working with families and working with children. So in that way, it's very comprehensive and holistic in the approach yeah. because it's all about how do we support you? How do we support you in supporting your child? What information do you need? What resources do you need? So I, delineations between school and home, they just sort of fall away because it's all about supporting that child. And you're both, and you're, the parents are there to do that. The teachers are there to do that. The home visitors are there to do that. And 
That's there that's, for everyone. There for everyone. Yes. Well done. And I realized that maybe was a tricky question. And I said this wasn't like a hard hitting show, but I think it's fascinating in illuminating how you customize. Mm-hmm. I, I believe in when you look into some of the programming, you will customize care and education paths for mm-hmm. families and children. And I think that's wonderful. Is that something that is will continue that is important to you? Is that customization of these things? Because it's got to be harder to do it. It yeah. must be, right? Going back to the history again, that's at the heart of it. I mean, that's at the heart of who we are. It's about, we've got some things we can do, but it's really about the people that we're working with. Where do you want to go? What is it that you think you need, you want? We're empowering. So we're empowering individuals and families to make the choices that they need to make. Right. And we can come alongside and support. And so in that way, it's who we are. So it's not even, you know, if there's a challenge, like, yeah, sometimes it would be easier just to X, Y, Z. But I think most of the time for most of us, we don't even go there because that's not the place that we're coming from. Wow. Way back in the 60s when Head Start was created, it's a program that has evolved a little bit as far as what the mind and education works. But, you know, the basic core of healthcare. You know, kids mm-hmm. come have to come to school, you know, being able to see, being able to hear and being able right. getting that health care that they need to just sit in the classroom, that nourishment that they need to be able to sit there and learn. That's at the core of what Head Start is all about. And that hasn't changed. And I think that's an amazing thing that really we don't talk yeah. about that much. It's yeah. just that back in the 60s, <laughs> the yeah. hippie days. Yeah, you that's know okay that? to yeah. start with back yeah. in the 60s because yeah. yeah. usually yeah. something awesome yeah. follows. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Typically. You're right. Yeah, and I just think it's that community action. So it's about the community and it's about giving voice to the community to say what it is that they need and then empowering people in the community to move the vision forward. Right. It's, It's really, again, it sounds corny, but it's not about us. Yeah. And that is a powerful message, but one that does shine light on some realities, right? So we're in the shadow of resorts and ski hills Mm -hmm. and second and third homes and all the other things that people do enjoy about our area, but there's an economic divide and there are barriers that families and children face that I think would shock some people who maybe even come here and leave and just don't know. So is this a tough message for you to amplify at times when it's kind of contrary to the PR message around us? Or do you find this is a community that really does support you know, even the harder conversations, like you said, mm-hmm. um, is this still a message that's easy for you to amplify? Well, I think when I think of community, I think about the people that we work with every day and the people that are here every day doing the work. And so, you know, in that way, I think it's well understood. I think from the outside, a lot of times, if you're looking at funders or if, you know, you're looking at other organizations that are saying, well, you're in Traverse City, so you don't understand this. So I think it's, you know, a lot of times it's, the outside perception to a large degree, not to say that that doesn't also exist internally. So, you know, again, we talk about giving voice, and I think that's a real component of some of the core work that we're doing in the community as partnerships to say this is a reality. You know, we live in a a phenomenal place. I mean, there's no doubt about that. It's beautiful. Every time I travel and I come back, I'm like, wow. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah. You just, you put it in perspective. I I thought the place I was going to was supposed to be really cool. And then I'm coming back and I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this is even better. First place that's ever happened to me living is is here. Same thing. Me too. Yeah. Me too. But just because that's the case doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, suffering going on. And you think about some of the additional challenges that happen just because of that reason. Some of, you know, we know the, the cost of housing and we know that people have to live very, very far away often from their jobs. And that's a huge transportation issue. So there's there's other factors that come into play if you're struggling in any capacity. I mean, we know that when we look at the, the Alice numbers living below the basic needs threshold, that there's a large portion of our community that is barely making it, and it's tough. And so I think in some ways that Alice number really, really highlights, I think, the reality in that it's not easy. It's not easy to, you know, find a place to live, find a place to work, to make you know enough money to be comfortable, do the things that you want to do and need to do you know, to get all your needs met in this place, even though it's absolutely And a good reminder is, is this isn't anybody who's looking, living high on the hog at all. And this is just basic needs. And, and I just right. wanted to repeat that because it, it bears repeating 
This is basic needs. Mm-hmm. And these are our neighbors. These are folks supporting our community yeah. in ways that you may not know and of all ages. Yeah. So it is a pretty astounding message. Yeah. I mean, these are us. At one time or another, we all need assistance. Um, we've got family members and friends. They were, right. There was a, you know, a large chunk of my life up here as a single mom where it was a struggle for a very, very long time. So that was the reality, and it was difficult to find childcare, and it was expensive, and you know all those things. Yeah. So I think we we have experienced them personally for the most part, and we have people in our lives that are struggling right now. So empathy for those who serve clearly is coming to you naturally from a place of experience, and not just from a place of teaching and from a place of learning. Having experienced it yourself, you see what they're saying, you see what they're needing, but having the skills to bring additional services to bear, you feel confident because I have to wonder, you have a list of things that you do. Mm-hmm. You're probably not going to tick one off and say, did it, right. we're done, right? Right. So how do you stay motivated when there are some things you may not be able to make a dent in? That's a good question. We just talk about you know the ripple effect too. There's things that are really, really challenging that our social problems that we haven't been able to solve yet, but we keep trying and we keep reaching out to partners to help us think about it. And I, I'm saying us as a, as a collective, you know, all of us are doing that. And the thing that we have to hold on to and know is that, you know, a lot of times we don't see the impact or the fruit of the work because it's, it, it is a ripple effect. It's further down the road. But fortunately, a lot of times we will have somebody come back. We'll have a a former Head Start student come back or a former Head Start parent to update us on what's, you know, going on. And you get those pieces and you just, you hang on to them because you know that that is the reality, even if we're not aware of it or seeing it in that moment. Yeah. I was going to ask that. Do you track alumni, you know, any any famous people who could be, uh, <laughs> you know, giving back uh, yeah, anything like that? Because, you know, those are good full circle stories, right? Yeah, that's true. I think we need to do a better job of that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I... I have to say that I, I think you are very serious in your commitment to what you do to this community all the way to your board. And if I may read one of the board members, one of the first commitments as board members, we dedicate ourselves to eliminating poverty amid plenty in this nation by opening to everyone the opportunity for education and training. I thought that was wonderful. I, I'd never read something like this, and I really identified with eliminating poverty amid plenty. Mm-hmm. And that's the commitment of your board, that's as serious as they take it. And you go to look at some of the commitments that you have and that you give to your partners, and it's not a joke. And it's really, really serious, and it's wonderful. So when you look at that holistic piece where you have a board to engage, you have so many different people to engage, and here you are trying to live your life, how do you stay focused and how do you relax? What was the question? No, just How kidding. Do you... I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you uh. don't because you can't. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I depend. We depend on each other. I depend on people to help me stay focused. I depend on people to carry the work forward. You know, it's not me. Today, I called somebody for a meeting before this, and our meeting's tomorrow. And she was, I could tell by her voice. I'm like, am I getting you at a bad time? She's like, no, you're just a day early. But it's like, oh, yeah, just another, um, you know, ball that fell out of the juggle. Um, I was there. so excited. Yeah, yeah. So I'm like, well, we... so, yeah, so that happens quite frequently. But I think somebody, we had a training recently, and in that training, we looked at, like, secular circles. And, you know, there's that circle of control, circle of influence, and circle of the things that are out of your control. Mm-hmm. And that really resonated with me because i got to let go of those things that are out of my control, realize what I can influence. But, you know, what are those things that are really in that inner circle? And so I think about that diagram to try to stay focused. And then when it doesn't work, I go outside and I go for a hike. And that's how I relax. Wonderful. Yes. reason I moved to the area is because I just I want to be yeah. in the middle of the woods right. um, all the time. Right. And so the minute I can get out there, that's where I go. And so that's my, my hopefully relaxation. knowing that's around you yeah. is sometimes good enough for, yeah. for the heart. Like. It works. I have to say that's another thing about COVID. It, we all got out in the trails. You know, it was amazing how many people were on the trails during yeah. COVID. And then yeah. I discovered so many areas that I had no idea existed that were like a mile, two miles, three miles yeah. from my house. It was like, it's crazy well, how many it's trails a, It's there. a gift where we live. And, yeah. and, and our fellow citizens and our neighbors deserve to enjoy it just as much as yeah. as anybody else. And you do what you do 
to make sure that that's the case. But I, I want to close by asking a question. I don't know how you're going to feel about this, but <laughs> do you ever regret stepping down as co-editor of The Infant Crier? And why is that the best name for a newsletter ever? <laughs> wow, you are good. You are good. Do I ever regret that? The Infant Crier. The Infant Crier, yeah. yeah. Do you like I mean, that? Do, that was... do you ever regret that? Because, do... I mean, had to be a, a, a labor of love. <laughs> it was. That was from the Michigan Association for Infant Mental Health. And mm -hmm. I was much more closely tied to that group when I was in early childhood. And they were fabulous. So that was kind of a fun thing, I have to admit. Do I think about it every day? I don't. But now that you've brought it up, it was really, so really a writer, fun. you know, yeah. that creativity. Gosh, you are. I you, didn't want to make anything. You brought this home just so perfectly. But again, I think you did some, there's great work there. So yeah, yeah. No, you're right. You're job. tapping into something I didn't want I to open about. an old wound or anything. No, but. it's all right. It's, it's all right. I've worked on it. And you look like you're at peace. I am. And you I just am. need it's... a walk in the woods if I just made you furious, right? Yeah, yep. No, we're done, right? <laughs> <laughs> I'll bring you back to the beach. <laughs> well, I, I, I want to ask, uh, how can anybody support, donate, uh, connect with uh, with the organization yourselves even? I just want to open that to you. What is the best way to connect support in MCAA? Best way, call us 947 3780 Say, I want to support and have them connect you to me because, you know, whether you want to donate, whether you want to volunteer, if you just want to find out more about what we do, that's wonderful. And we are waiting to share that information with you. Our website is nmcaa.net. You can see all of our programs on there. You can find out how to apply. So I think that's a good starting point in our Facebook page, Northwest Michigan Community Action Agency. But when all else fails, feel free to pick up the phone. I believe you. You too. Here's the thing. Some people say, call me, and uh -huh. they don't really want, I believe you. And uh, and if you are in need, you can call, and you will get somebody on the phone. And I think that's awesome. I like that. And I, I think that's trending more and more lately, but that's wonderful. So again, nmcaa.net is the website, and you can donate. You can find out about volunteer opportunities there as well, correct? Correct. Awesome. Carrie, Erica, and Kim, thank you all so much for your pursuits. And to all those pursuing with you, giving individuals and families and our neighbors and need the tools and resources to live and thrive with dignity and respect, and hopefully a little happier and healthier. Well, thank you. Oh, it is our thank pleasure. You. This was fun. This is our first podcast. So well, nobody we could tell it. because you are really, really good at it. <laughs> yeah. No, we appreciate it. It was, it was, it, it is was our fun pleasure. To do. And to all of our listeners, thank you all for listening and thank you for pursuing the positive. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for joining us again on the Pursuit of Podcast, the Pursuit of Northern Michigan Community Action Agency. For more information on the many services that they offer, check out nmcaa.net. And for those of you that don't already know, NMCAA does have a podcast. Check out The Collective Us, an NMCAA podcast. And as always, for all audio, video, podcast production-related inquiries, check us out at newleonard.com.